This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jaskhan Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, welcome back. We're so glad to have you back in studio with us. You have been Arab Talk correspondent all through Europe. You've been in Greece reporting. You've been in Spain reporting. And you're back here. So welcome back. It's great to have you back. Thank you, and uh, we should have a great show as usual, and we've actually done quite well reporting from Europe, and you were here in San Francisco just, you know, because of the uh, simple technology that we have, and then a big shout out to our editor, Matt DeVry, for helping us out, otherwise we would not have been no. able to do it without him. But Jamal, as usual, you know, I refer to you as the Arab Forest Gump. Because every time you go somewhere or leave, something happens. We have a lot to talk about today, and I'm going to leave towards the latter end of the show to get a, your analysis of the European perspective on what's happening here in the United States. But the biggest news that's happening today is among all of the things that President Trump has done to betray the United States, among all the things that President Trump has done to foment racist, white supremacy, and racist attacks against people of color. He has hit a new low. And uh, we're just getting breaking news that uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and uh, Congresswoman Omar have been denied entry. Now, let's remember this. They are Congresswomen, duly elected by their districts, and they have been denied entry into Israel on a fact-finding peace basically peace-enhancing mission for these two congresswomen. They have been denied entry. Now, the thing that makes this especially egregious, problematic, and in my humble opinion, a threat to U.S. interests, you have the president of the United States calling Benjamin Netanyahu, asking him to deny two U.S. citizens and two U.S. congressmen legitimate legal entry into our one of our so-called allies. In my mind, Jamal, this turns out to be not just one of the lowest points in the Trump ad administration, but the, among the biggest threats to democracy, to the presidency, and to what we know uh, based on the Constitution of the United States. And let's, let's give it some context, because let's start by, let's start from Trump's Twitter and, uh, you know, what he tweeted uh, early on this morning at 657 a.m. this morning, and I'm just reading from his Twitter account, and this is what the President of the United States uh, tweeted. It would show great weakness if Israel allowed Representative Omar and Representative Tlaib to visit. They hate Israel and all Jewish people, and there is nothing that can be said or done to change their minds. Minnesota and Michigan will have a hard time putting them back in office. They are a disgrace. This is what the President of the United States tweeted about members of Congress to a foreign nation. To a foreign nation. He, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, people are not seeing the severity of the issue. In fact, I would say many people are seeing it, including, and then we'll talk about this because just guess what? For the first time, APEC criticized Trump and Netanyahu. Oh, that's right. They I were that. against it. They said, well, you know, we were against Representative Omar or whatever, or we don't agree with their views, but the action, they were again, and I'll read that, that, that tweet from, from APAC, which is unprecedented that members, elected members of the U.S. Congress are denied entry to a country that has received more than $150 billion of hard-earned U.S. taxpayers' money. More than $150 billion, which, by the way, are approved by Congress every year. You know, USAID is approved by Congress. And they've denied members of Congress from two different states entry. Well, I mean, I mean, this is this is that's why now there is even this is this is backfiring, you know. Well, uh, and, well, and there, we'll talk about the, the, well, the people who, who have been criticizing it. Well, yeah, but in addition, it's not only APAC, Jamal, that has been critical about this, but uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is the 
who is the leader of the Republicans uh, in the House of Representatives. He's the 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 most highly uh, ranked member, the leading ranked member of the minority in the House of Representatives, happens to be in Israel today, Jamal, uh, with a delegation of Republicans. And even Kevin McCarthy, who leads the Republican effort, who's, you know, in, in the Congress, said today that he felt like Rashid Taleb and Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman, should be allowed to come. So even Kevin McCarthy has been critical. APAC has been critical. Critical. Chuck Schumer has been critical. All these devotees and supporters of Israel's apartheid policies on both sides of the aisle, I might add, Jamal, Republicans and Democrats have been extremely critical. So here's my question. Which incidentally, you know, uh, how many members of Congress have just visited Israel? 31. I mean, the 31, of course, they were, uh, you know, I mean, the only thing I look at it, these are uh, what I call them Hasbara trips supported and funded by APAC, you know, usually so they can, you know, according to Israel, it's to, so people can see for themselves. That's what they say, to come and see for themselves. But they are very organized, very orchestrated Hasbara trips. And uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, along with uh, her group, uh, they are going in, on a different in different way. That's why uh, this this got uh, denied basically. But also, Israel just a couple of days ago said this is from their foreign ministry. They said that they weren't going to deny it. They were no. Going they said to they were going in. to okay it. Right. So, so until Trump tweeted about it, Jess, until he tweeted, until he decided. Until he decided to kind of basically egg Benjamin Netanyahu to deny them, uh, according to, to Israel, and then we'll get also into talking about this, he basically, uh, the government changed uh, its position on this and came up with nonsense. So there is a bunch of uh, tweets uh, we can read, including uh, a tweet from your favorite friend uh, Marco Rubio, who said that he disagrees 100% with Representative Slab and Omar uh, on Israel, and and then he proudly says that he is the author of the anti-BDS bill we passed in the Senate, but denying them entry into Israel is a mistake. So even even Rubio is against it, because this is going to have a, a serious repercussion. Absolutely. I mean, this is a precedent because other countries can retaliate, other you can use this precedent, you know, to do that to any member of Congress, really. That's right. Well, here's my question, Jamal. In whose interest is Donald Trump working? In whose interest as President of the United States is Donald Trump making decisions about what is in the best interests of the, of the United States of America? You, based on what he said, his inability to criticize Putin of Russia, based on his inability and reluctance to put sanctions on the Russians, which, you know, we're going to talk about at some point, uh, little, you know, maybe today, maybe on another show. In his inability to criticize what's happening in Hong Kong right now with a brutal crackdown on the pro-democracy movement that's going on in Hong Kong right now, you have a president of the United States who calls a foreign leader a leader who is practicing apartheid policies, who's engaged in mass uh, incarceration and, you know, some people would argue, you know, committing war crimes against uh, Palestinians, calling this leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, and asking that he deny entry of U.S. citizens, congresswomen to that country. Whose interest is he working for, Jamal? Is he working for the interests of the United States or some other interest? This among, as I said before, among all the really bizarre decisions that he has made that have fomented racism, that have fomented hate, that have fomented xenophobia, this to me is a new low in terms of what Donald Trump has done. Well, I mean, you could also add to it uh, just that uh, this also is a, a ploy and a clear attempt to pit Jews against 
Democrats. Yes. Because he's playing that. This is another thing. I mean, he's using this whole political ploy and split the Democratic Party, pit uh, Jewish voters against the Democratic Party by showing them and say, look, I'm more Jewish than you are. I have the interest of Israel. Israel more than anyone else. More than American citizens. And 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 he's 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 just like this is really a desperate attempt, in my opinion, and a distraction for all the things that we've been seeing here. You know, the economy is tanking, you know, the stock market has been hammered, the uh, you know our our relationship with China is is at its worst, and we and he's creating basically an economical war between the United States and China, affecting all our interests overseas and American companies, not just Chinese companies. Well, I think that's right, Jamal. I think part of this is a big distraction. I We've mean, had more than two hundred fifty mass shootings in the United States, and the year is not over. Yeah, more than one a day. More than one one a day, More including than day. just within the past twenty four hours, an attack on on uh, six policemen, six, six in policemen in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, which and was. all the investigations and all the connections uh, from all these Trump good people that he was going to hire. Some of them are serving time in jail. His connection to the Epstein, we don't know once until we get all the information right. about the mysterious death of Epstein. I mean, if you look at all these things, they just don't add up, Jess. And well, then all yes, of a sudden, but they do he up, takes, he hijacks the 24-hour news cycle Well, I have to a, basically take you, attention away from Take him. attention away from all these investi ongoing investigations. Well, I think that's right, Jamal. But I think his calculation has failed. Because we no other topic has unified <laughs> Democrats and Republicans than than what he's done against Rashid Tlaib and uh, Ilhan Omar by calling a foreign leader and asking that these congresswomen be denied entry. It has unified Republicans and Democrats. And what it also is going to do, and this is why he is not the sharpest knife in the drawer, it's going to bring more positive attention to the plight of Palestinian um, inclinations, drive, desire for freedom and self-determination, Jamal. What this is going to do is put the Palestinian issue front and center as it should be in the Democratic platform. And with the skillful work of Chuck Schumer and some other people, they've been able to marginalize that in the presidential debates. This is going to bring it full circle yet again. It is a miscalculation again by this president. It is deeply, uh, I think it's fair to say that it's deeply Islamophobic. It's, it's sexist, it's Islamophobic, and it's xenophobic for him to target these congresswomen who are duly elected. And it doesn't serve the interest of Jewish Americans in this country. Of course it doesn't. I mean, he is manipulating this whole platform. And then the, the irony of this, Jess, and this is a reminder, this is a man who in 2015, and I'm quoting, told a, a room full of Jewish Republicans, if you remember, that you're not going to support me because I don't want your money, <laughs> saying, adding that, you want to control your politicians, that's fine, right? This is what he said. In 2016, he released a campaign ad that played a quote from one of his speeches over footage of George Soros and former federal chairman Janet Yellen, who's also Jewish, a visual that comes across as anti-Semitic dog, wh dog whistle. This April, he told an American Jewish audience that is that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was their prime minister. He told Americans. You remember that? that? Yeah, he told Remember, Americans he said that. their prime minister, implying that American Jews have a dual loyalty to Israel. A worse version of the controversial comments once Omar, according to him, said about uh, the pro-Israel lobby. So, but I do. So we know where he. You know, I mean, because you started by saying, you know. This is the lowest moment. I don't think it's the lowest moment. I mean, how I do. low I do. can this president go? Well, he's going to go a lot lower, Jamal, because um, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about this a little later in the show. And, of course, he can go even lower. But I'm saying since he became president, we're now in, well into the second year of his presidency. 
uh, yeah, well into the third, you know, starting into the third year of his presidency, of course he could go lower, but this is the lowest of the low. This should be a wake-up call for every single American, irrespective of Republican, Democrat, progressive, conservative, evangelical, it doesn't matter. This You have someone in the White House, Jamal, who does not even put the American, the interests of the United States of America first and foremost. We saw that with the Mueller probe and the, uh, you know, his inability to criticize Vladimir Putin for his interference in our elections. He is unable and incapable of confronting thuggery all over the world and thuggery directed toward this country. So people need to wake up that this is a person who's got his finger on the nuclear button, who is arguably the most powerful person in the world, supposed to be committed to the U.S. interests, is now putting Israeli interests over American interests. And, uh, and to be fair, uh, monitoring the Israeli media, they had also a a different look at it. What was their look? Because uh, many um, politicians, pundits, and so on, that I was uh, reading their quotes, they're criticizing Benjamin Netanyahu as being a puppet of the United States, of the United States <laughs> and Donald Trump, and that his action is going to basically uh, ruin the goodwill between the United States, uh, between Israel and the U.S. Congress. You know, you know, any which way Netanyahu tried to kind of spin it, saying that we respect the United States and the American people and you and the U.S. Congress. And then he uh, tried to single out. Of course, he singled out uh, uh, representatives uh, Omar and, and Tlaib. But many politicians in Israel, many uh, journalists there are really shocked by this action because they are looking into the future you know, saying, you know what, this is a precedent because we've always allowed all members of Congress, even even Congress, uh, members of Congress who uh, were critical of Israel, we've never shut the door in front of their face. But this action could have a repercussion in the House. Because remember, you know, every single Israeli prime minister, and, and, and the last one, if you recall, when Benjamin Netanyahu came, to the joint session, uh, walked in like a hero without an invitation from the President of the United States at the That's time, right. Barack Obama, a slap in the face of Barack Obama. He was welcomed like a hero. Well, now you have at least half a dozen members of, uh, of Congress who are unhappy. And I'm not saying there are more, but I'm talking about the visible one. Uh, like OAC and uh, uh, Presley. But I think it's more than a half a and, dozen. And others that who might, the next time, might turn their back. This would be a simple message. When the prime minister of Israel walks in, into that room, they might just leave or, uh, so, or walk. I mean, this is the easiest thing they can do. Doesn't, bro, uh, doesn't Jamal Benjamin Netanyahu understand that it's Congress that signs the check for their foreign aid? to the Israelis. He, it's not the president that signs the foreign aid checks, Jamal. Congress is the body that is designated in the Constitution to handle the budget and signs off on these things. The president can direct it, but you know he's basically slapping and biting the hand that's feeding the war machine that the Israeli uh, military and government gets this money, this free money from the United States. They're biting the hand that feeds it. It's really so disturbing on so many levels that it's it's hard to imagine. Well, I mean, it's definitely, you know, uh, Israel's decision to ban Tlaib and Omar, representatives Tlaib and Omar from entering the country is a big slap in the face to both the American government and the idea and this is, this is the unmasking of this idea that Israel is a tolerant and pluralistic democracy. So in one, this is, I would say, the other side of the coin. It really unmasked 
on the international level, right. not just like this, including members of Congress who are now embarrassed because they come back, they go to Israel, they go on this Hasbara tour, they walk them and say, look, Gaza, we're not, Gaza's not under siege, we are under siege. They take mm -hmm. them, look at these Katyusha rockets that they are attacking the Israeli innocent public. Of course, they don't talk about the F-16s and the bombing and the death of children in Gaza and the starvation. They don't show all of this. And then these guys come back and they say, wow, Israel is a democratic country. And then, of course, they bring a couple of Arab-speaking uh, Israeli politicians and they say, we are in an inclusive society. They don't show them that just a couple of days ago. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu gave the green light for the uh, extremist colonial settlers to go right in the middle of the uh, Eid prayers to antagonize Palestinians accompanied by Israeli uh, military. military. Right. They don't show them these things, women being hit and beaten and, 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 and uh, blood on the faces of those uh, worshippers. And then they come back and say, Israel is a democracy. Look so, at this. So here we are. Let's contextualize this, Jamal. The, the only democracy in the Middle East, that's the Hasbara brand that Israel likes to say, is denying U.S. Congresswomen access and availability to enter. The greatest democracy in the Middle East, the only democracy in the Middle East. So Congress needs to wake up and understand this fiction not of Israel being a democracy. It's a democracy if you happen to be of a particular faith, but if you happen to be a congresswoman who is Muslim, who is, has Palestinian roots or Somali roots, whatever, but are a U.S. citizen and a member of Congress, your ability to criticize is going to be denied. Plus, they're going not alone, by the way. They're no, they're going with the whole, with a the whole group of progressive Democrats who don't see eye to eye with the rest of the platform of the Democratic Party. Uh, they, they, are, they are willing to examine and look at things and not give Israel a wink and a nod and look the other way as they commit their atrocities towards well, Palestinians. And which, by the way, just, I mean, think about it this way. I mean, you can talk about this for hours. Just the other day, you know, and I'm, maybe I'm free associating a little bit here. Uh, just <laughs> You're jet lagged. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I saw a tweet by uh, former Secretary of State and, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. And, and she was basically saying bravo to the demonstrators in Hong Kong. They are demonstrating so they can see freedom, freedom and whatever. And I'm like, what? I mean, here is a former Secretary of State and an almost president egging on the citizens of Hong Kong, or citizens of China living in Hong Kong, to keep demonstrating. And she never said anything and never praised Palestinians uh, demonstrating against their oppressors. Never. Never. She calls them terrorists. Exactly. And so this is, again, it takes you to, you see all these things and you see the clear hypocrisy in these actions. No, but it's, it's more than just hypocrisy, Jamal. This is flat out racism. It's a kind of ra racism regarding democracy that only certain people are either worthy or entitled to democracy, not everybody. Th this <coughs> racist, hateful, xenophobic trait that some people are okay to fight for freedom and democracy, but others are not, is really unfortunately what most of the Democratic Party has been about, most if not all the Republicans. <coughs> and of course, Hillary Clinton is a perfect example. You know what, Jamal? It's a very simple analysis. You either believe in democracy for all or you don't. It's, there's no gray area here. You either believe firmly, unequivocally, that all human beings have the right to democratic uh, freedoms, a right to self-determination, a right not to live under the boot of an oppressor. You either believe that or you don't, Jamal. It's not selective. But what the Democratic Party has gotten away with uh, is this idea that, yeah, democracy is okay, but not just for everybody. And this is why this issue of denying Congresswoman Tlaib and Omar 
entry is going to force this issue of Israeli aggression, Israeli apartheid, and the fiction of Israeli democracy, it's going to put it front and center. And there is a more uh, dangerous precedent. And I go back to what at the beginning of the discussion, just because this creates a fake concern, right? And, you know, there is this kind of from Trump that he created this fake concern about anti-Semitism and an attempt, again, this is an attempt to divide American Jews from Democrats. And, and I think this is... It's not going to work. It might, I no, don't know, but this work. is really dangerous and pitting American Jews against American Muslims and vice versa, right. playing, playing this game and, you know, splitting the country. That's I mean, what he wants. Already, but that's exactly the plan. That's the plan. In a country that is split between white, black, you know, Asian, etc., and we're seeing these racist and white supremacist attacks, slaughters, more than 250 mass shootings Killings, yeah. in, in less than a year. And then so he's adding more fuel to this fire of hate saying he's calling. Like he knows more than basically all the brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith and saying, look, we're denying, you know, Israel must deny them because these uh, Muslims, they hate Jews and they're because they criticize Israel and conflating the criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. And this is a very dangerous precedent coming out of the mouth of the president of the United States. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We're streaming live on the KPOO website at kpoo.com. We're also streaming Facebook Live right now. If you go to Jamal Dejani 2 on Facebook, you can see that we're live streaming. And, of course, we'll be pod we're podcasting this and we'll be posting it later. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. But, uh, I, you know, if we – I don't like doing this, Jamal, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a minute here to kind of put aside the racism, put aside the xenophobia – Put aside the hateful, disturbing, crazy rhetoric um, just for a moment and want to talk about Donald Trump's political calculation. Donald Trump can only win a second term as president if he gets as many uh, of his as much of his base out as possible. He's looking for as many people as possible who fit the Donald Trump base mold. Extremely conservative, evangelical, white, who believe in his principles that were being invaded by brown people, you know, from, from the southern border and from the Middle East. And he has a calculation that if he attacks Muslim women, even if they're congresswomen, that that's going to get even more... I mean, more of his base to come out. He, this is the only way he can win, Jamal. Mm -hmm. So from a political calculation, in his little mind, he actually thinks that gal trying to galvanize his base against this decision, which is hurtful to the Congress, which is hurtful to this country, which serves the interests of another country, will help rally his base even more. I actually think... This could be one calculation that, that, is, that is actually going to work well, against them. You're also forgetting to add to this calculation, splitting the Democratic Party, splitting, taking away the Jewish support. I don't think, that's, the I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that'll ha I, I, I don't put that as part of the calculation. It, it, it could be, but I, I think that the, the Obama calculation, Jamal, was bringing people together. And that's how Obama won both times on a landslide. And the youth. And, and the youth, right. And he, Mobilizing that, the youth. 2008, 2012, that's how he won. Trump can only win on a plan of xenophobia, hate, guns, and division. And he, he is hoping that the only thing he could do is kind of wear Democrats out so that they don't come out to vote. People didn't come out and vote. Uh, for Hillary Clinton, for all the reasons that we talked about endlessly for a year, mm -hmm. for two years. And he's hoping that the same thing will happen now. 
He's attacking Joe Biden. He's attacking Elizabeth Warren. He's attacking Kamala Harris. He's attacking all of the front runners. And he's going to wear people out, hoping that people will give up and not go to the polls. He's also hoping that his buddies in Russia will undermine the election also. But this is his only calculation politically in order to win. I think I have and I think I mentioned this to you before we went on air today. I have a statistic about the demise of the Trump presidency. It's the number of Republicans who begin to disown him or distance themselves. We had a major Republican uh, surrogate distance himself this week, and that was Anthony Scaramucci, the former press secretary. It's kind of a big deal. He's been going on. Well, he, he, you know, he, he, he knew how to milk it, but I don't know if he is an influencer. But, you know, uh, at a couple I, of, I, I agree, for example, with... Uh, a couple of congressmen with, have with also who, uh, have done it. So you have people for the first time, Jamal. You have you have this, but I don't think his and twelve Republicans. Wait, twelve Republican congressmen have decided that they're not going to run for re-election. Yeah, that's a different story. But I think his Republican and that's his base, the hardcore MAGA hat wearing. They don't see it this way. They don't care what happens. They actually will attack those who attack him from within the Republican Party. And we've seen how he basically castrated the Republican Party and all the members, including Rubio and others, who he basically during his presidential uh, elections uh, mocked. And now they all uh, line up to kiss his ring. Right. Right. So I don't think I you know, I, I don't think that the politicians within the party count. They'll affect well, congressional. They'll affect congressional. But what I think will affect it, and this is will be, if how long those who were disenfranchised, those who stayed at home, the youth that Barack Obama mobilized, the African American community, the Arab American community, the Muslim community, the Latinas or Latinx who just decided not to go out and vote, they will vote this time. That if. They go out in droves because this is, uh, you know, after the last elections, to tell you the truth, I stopped uh, putting any faith in polls. You can't. Because all the polls were saying, oh, Hillary, Hillary, he was going to win. And all the polls before that were saying that his, uh, you know, the momentum will eventually end up with him when he was running for the Republican primaries. And soon the, the Republicans will circle their wagons and they will elect one of their kind of... Uh, one of their own, because they looked at Donald Trump as not one of their own. He was the odd one out there. And then he kept going and kept going, and he won the primaries. And then we all, everyone, all the polls were showing Hillary winning. So it's all nonsense. It's really about the last six months. And maybe there is one thing that really works, which is very important, and we haven't talked about it, which is the economy. Bye-bye. And the stock market, you know, you know that, that expression, the economy is stupid. I, I do believe in this phrase that yep. maybe not now, but comes 2020 in the first or second quarter. If, if we see a second quarter of 2020 by next August, next September, what we're seeing today, this uncertainty, he won't win. Yep. That's, that's one. But then the other factor which is the popularity factor, if they, if you don't mobilize all the disenfranchised groups, if they continue bickering and splitting against each other, and that's what this is deployed to pin, to deploy, he wants to now get the Muslims against the Jews and the Jews against the Muslims and whites against blacks and blacks against whites and all this game. If this works, he will win. But if they unite and they see this man to, the way that you and I see him, the way that if you look at him and declare that this man bankrupted how many companies, how many casinos? Well, let's say how many airlines? He, he, he had, even bankrupted his own so-called university. Chabal, he's had at least four or five personal bankruptcies. So, so he will. Business so he will bankrupt the country if, if they can see clearly that if we continue on this path, he will bankrupt this country. If we continue on this path, he will basically roll the clock back to 
Jim Crow. To Jim Crow. Yeah. So I'm sorry to say what I'm going to say next, Jamal. Okay? Uh, we've given our listeners a very clear, compelling analysis. But you remember my predictions. I still believe Donald Trump has more than a 50-50 chance of being reelected for another term. And I'll tell you why. I just want to add a little specificity to something you said, which was the polls were wrong. But a more accurate statement would be the polls were right and the polls were wrong because Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote by 3 million votes. That's true. So the polls did accurately reflect and predict the, the general election vote where the polls failed, and this is where you're correct, is in the complexities of the Electoral College and this Byzantine, if I can use that word, uh, archaic, slave-owner-driven, you know... System. System of the Electoral College. He was able, based on about 50,000 votes in three states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, he was able to eke out an Electoral College victory even though he lost the popular vote. But he won, if we go by the Electoral victory, he won... Handily. Oh, beyond handily. It wasn't, it wasn't even a close one. Well, so, because so it's if he knows how to play, this that's is what a I chess mean. game. Right. If he knows how to play, this, you know, like Donald Trump couldn't care less about the votes in California. He knows he's not going to win California. He couldn't care less. He only cares about his three these, states. These states and others, his core states, his core supporters. And as long as he. I mean, the only the only way like Barack Obama won in these states be, is because he was able to mobilize the youth, the vote. He yeah. was able to mobilize the African American community and other minorities, and this is this is this is how you can defeat it. If they stay at home and then just moan and groan and complain about him, but then they don't go out and vote then he's going to win. Well, that's exactly right. And that's why I think, and I have said, and it was one of my predictions, that, in fact, he could, there's more than a 50-50 chance. By the way, Jamal, do you remember one of my other predictions? Which one? We would go many in, predictions. I know. <laughs> then I'm going to call you a prophet soon. <laughs> that we would go into a recession. That's a horrible prediction, but I, I think I you're right. I think we are heading that way. So I mean, I want to talk. You... I want to talk about a few things. I mean, we're going to follow this story on uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, Congresswomen, who were denied entry at the behest of the President of the United States to deny two American citizens and Congresswomen uh, calling the leader of another country and asking them to deny them entry. We're going to follow this story, but we have a couple of other stories that we need to follow too right now. I want to just speak a little bit about the economy, and then I want to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about gun violence, because we have to, these are all going to play in the general election. In terms of the economy, Trump's uh, narcissistic uh, fiscal policy, which basically says, I'm going to put tariffs on, the Chine on Chinese-made goods, and we're going to squeeze the Chinese, and the Ch Chinese will fold, and we are going to come out as winners. That's and we're, and we're going to get all the jobs, jobs back. Jobs in, are going to come in back. In the United States, the coal industry, the car industry. Well, I have breaking news. You're from Detroit. Ha, ha, did you see the car industry coming well, back? Well, actually, just the opposite. In one of the Trump states, Ohio, Jamal, GM has closed two major plants. And the, the car, the automotive industry in Michigan continues to be in decline. We are just hearing from the major automotive uh, you know, car makers right now that their, their inventory right now of 2019 cars is at an all-time, they can't give away cars right now. Um, we have an economy, uh, in if you're a farmer in this country from the farm belt in the Midwest, Jamal, you're hurting big time. If you're a, a business owner and you rely on just, you know, either uh, selling, trading, buying, or selling things from China, your economy is going to tank. I have breaking news for all the people that voted for Donald Trump thinking that it was going to improve the economy. 
We are a hair's breadth away, Jamal, from a deep global recession, a hair's breadth. And whether or not Donald Trump can magically make it go away or whether another reduction in the interest rates by the Fed is going to, to change that is unlikely. So everything that you and I have said in terms of the political analysis may, be, may pale in comparison to what's going to happen to Donald Trump in 2020 if this economy tanks the way it looks like right now. Well, again, you know, going back, the, it's uh, the economy stupid uh, expression, which is true. <coughs> I don't want to be right about this, but I think we may be going into a recession. Well, uh, I mean, what we've been seeing has all the signs of a recession or a crash or something like this. It's very unusual. And I'm not an expert on the economy, but when you have a stock market that drops 800 points, then goes back up like a few hundred, then D Donald Trump tweets, puts something on Twitter, and then drops again 500 points. I mean, it means there is this instability that he has created with the whole issue with China. Instability is the key. It's, it's, it's a very jittery and very unstable. And then sometimes I feel he does these things. You know, a lot of analysts said, well, he's ignorant. But uh, no, I think he does these things. There is more thinking behind it. Absolutely. I think Because for think one thing, maybe you and me and the average people are not making all the money, but somebody is making money because even, even when you have these huge fluctuations, you know, there are people who buy and sell and we're having these huge fluctuations. You know how long it takes for the stock market to go 800 points? Let's say even, even at this rate. It takes a few weeks. We've seen it within the past two weeks going up and down like this, just in, in less than unstable. In two weeks. It's unstable, yeah. So there is a big spread for those who are the day traders, people unlike you and me <laughs> who are investing in the millions and billions of dollars. So when you buy, you know, buy low, sell high and whatever at the end of the day and then buy again, whatever. Somebody's making money, and it's not, and it's, it's not, not Donald Trump voters. I guarantee not, you that it's not. It's not those people who he, who he promised, uh, you know, jobs and the return of the auto industry and the coal industry and whatever. But somebody else is making a lot of money yeah, during I, that time. Well, I just want uh, people to realize, you know, who voted for him, that if you voted for economic reasons. You better, like, uh, pay attention. There is a group, though, that doesn't care about economics, Jamal, his core, core, core base. They care about one thing. They care about stacking the judicial system with as many conservative judges as possible. And as long as Donald Trump is the president uh, and, the, and the Senate is controlled by the Republicans, I'm going to use some very strong language. Maybe I won't because I know certain people are listening. But it's a fantasy of the uh, conservative elite, of the evangelicals, to have a seven to two majority in the Supreme Court. So if Donald Trump gets another four years, you have Justice Ginsburg and Justice Breyer, who everybody has been saying are, are likely to retire in, you know, in the next presidential cycle. That theoretically could give the Supreme Court a tilt seven conservative against two and then six more years of conservative judges changing the face of the judicial system. For the next 30 years minimum. That's right. And that's and, their thing is. That's their thing. And that's it's, more. It's an appointment for life. And that's more important, Jamal, than money. So for them, it's more important to the ban ab abortion. It is. To reverse uh, with uh, Brown versus Board of Ed, yeah, Roe versus you know Wade, Roe v. Wade, all, all it these things. Matter. It's more important than having stability and it is, and, and peace. And of course, they don't care about any gun control. I mean, as we keep seeing every every week and every few days, people are getting killed. Now, this is a country that has more guns than human beings. Yes, and it's not video games. It's and not mental health, Jamal. It's every country has video games. Every country has mental health struggles. 
the only difference between the United States and every other country in the world, full stop, is easy access to weapons of war. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Uh, we have a few minutes uh, just Yeah, left. and I wanted to... Listen, Jamal, you have a perspective. I mean, you've been traveling in Europe, and you've had a chance to really speak to Europeans in Greece and in Spain and other places and get a perspective of the European perspective on what they see politically going on in this country. And maybe... I mean, I, I'm interested in this. How does the... How do Europeans see the craziness that's going on here? Well, I think the biggest shock and and um, maybe the biggest discussion uh, about evaluating or looking towards the United States is the big question about uh, gun control and about guns. And people are really shocked and surprised, you know, when they read the stats and read the news and then see the, the incidents repeating uh, themselves that in such a, uh, you know, advanced society in the 21st century that you, you know, uh, let's face it, the rest of the world sees the United States as an empire, not just a country. I mean, Americans don't like to hear that, that, that we are an empire, but the rest of the world views the United States as an empire. And 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 when they see that this country is failing at the basic level, which is public safety and security, protecting children in schools, protecting average citizen from going to a festival or uh, or, or moviegoers from being gunned down, and and seeing on TV and seeing the discussion, how attached are politicians? and the way they interpret the Second Amendment, you know, that this is more important to them because of the NRA, because of the lobby groups in Washington, D.C., to continue on the same, I would say, disastrous path. Well, I would call it homicidal path. And homicidal path and, and not put the interest of the public I think this is a major surprise. So Europeans they, can't wrap their mind. No, no, around they it. they just like we understand. You know, they 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 come to the, in the discussion. We understand people like to hunt, but do you hunt with a machine gun and an and an AK forty seven? I mean, people will pose questions like this to kind of stump you, because it's undefendable. I mean, of course, I'm you and I are totally against it, but even for for someone who supports the the Second Amendment, they say, do you need an AK-47 to hunt. How did a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old get hold of these guns? How did they, you know, these questions you cannot answer. And uh, and so, and then when they look at the numbers, we have 380 million uh, guns, guns on the street. For 320 million people. It's astonishing. Uh, so this is the big issue, and of course, I think they're not amused any longer. I, I believe like, because you know, I, I travel every time and I talk to people, people were initially kind of amused by Donald Trump. They thought he's a silly guy. Uh, he says what what's on his mind and that's part of his popularity. But I think now they're viewing him as a dangerous guy. Oh, that's good. And this is, I think there is a shift. That's, that's there accurate. Is a shift. Especially, he has insulted almost everyone in Europe anyways. He has insult, insulted the prime minister of, the former prime minister of uh, the England. Yes. yes he okay. has uh, insulted the, the Merkel. Yeah. He has insulted the French president. I mean, you name it. It's not like he is loved. I mean, it's, no, it's beyond now amusement. And then they also see... Uh, you know, also they have their own issues. They have, you know, the Brexit, they have the economy. And so a global recession, which you are talking about, and where the United States has a lot of say in this, affects their lives. So they are also very worried. As they should and be. And very nervous. As they should be. And watching our elections very closely, watching what's going on here, because no, they know that this is going to reflect on them as well. 
Well, that's that's very interesting to hear, Jamal, because um, it seems like the Europeans have a much more sobering and maybe even accurate analysis about what's happening in this country than many Americans. So, I'm 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 heartened to hear that they have this kind of analysis about what's happening here, and I think that analysis is not just European. I think it's true in Africa. I think it's true in Central and South America. Yeah, sure. I think it's it's true in Australia. I think it's true in Asia. We have a president of the United States who believes in Kim Jong-un Vladimir and Vladimir Putin. He believes in thugs. One of his best friends is MBS. We didn't even talk about MBS today, you know, when, when in fact uh, there's there's plenty to talk about. I should let our listeners know that we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You had posted that video, uh, 20 million uh, uh, views uh, of the clown. Facebook did take it down, and they, they haven't did. reinstated it yet. So I just think in, in, in the spirit of transparency and kind of uh, freedom of speech and, you know, First Amendment rights, I'm still a little disturbed by that. But it seems like, back to my point, Jamal, that most of the world has a much more sobering worrisome view of what's happening well look what happened in new zealand i mean new zealand had one catastrophe one of course horrific and heinous mass shootings and then they were able to pass laws prohibiting um, semi-automatic weapons right they i forgot the number but um, uh, they had a call for people to br- to and people an amnesty brought, to, uh, and amnesty they brought them to bring in. their guns. They brought their guns, surrendered thousands of weapons, and they passed strict laws. And here in this country, every time something like this happen happens, we have these debates. Uh, it's kind of endless debates that amount to nothing. Well, just condemnations. Well, I have and two words. People are crying on television. I have two and words. And we well. are. It's two words. You know, we feel very emotional about it. There's only one reason. And it only lasts for a few days, and then something similar happens. There's only one reason, Jamal, we don't have the most basic background check law. The most basic, simplistic thing we can do is make sure every time you buy a gun, there's a background check. That's a simple, it doesn't solve everything, but it's a good first step. The only reason we don't is two words. What are they? Moscow Mitch. Moscow Mitch. Which I sometimes refer to him as machine, well, he, he, machine he, gun He wasn't Mitch. hiding. He, he hasn't, did he show up back in, in no. the Senate? To, no, he is ha, not. Has he you know, children, Listen, listen, children are dying every day at gun violence, <laughs> and he's still in Kentucky. Well, we've come to another, uh, the end of another great show here on Arab Talk. You can follow us at ArabTalkRadio.com where you can catch all of our podcasts. Go to Jamal's uh, Facebook page, Jamal Dejani 2. Send us emails at ArabTalk at KPO.com. Jamal, I guess we'll see everybody next week. We will see you all next week. (laughs) 